at Combank Health, we understand that health professionals set up a practice to look after patients, not take care of practice admin. That's why our new Smart Health system lets you streamline your payments by handling rebates and reporting, giving you more time for your patients, yourself and the ones you love. Search Combank Smart Health to find out more. Applications subject to conditions, fees, charges and lending criteria. Commonwealth Bank of Australia, ABN 48123124 and Australian Credit Licence 234945. I just love what you do for me. You're so reliable, smart and incredibly well connected. Excuse me, could I pay for my meal? Oh, of course. Just having a moment with my Combank smart terminal. Tap away. Feel a stronger connection. With extra connectivity, you're always payment ready. There's more to love with the Combank Smart Terminal. Mm, It is a nice terminal. Eligibility criteria, fees and T's and C's apply. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary health care. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Birupai country. And uh, Rivka Hagen here. I'm meeting you from Jajawurrung country. And a big hello from Turbul and Jagara country. Oh my God, can you believe episode one? Kim and River, we talked about this for so long, trying to make all this happen. I think, what, six months, would you say? It's been a big birth, hasn't it, Chris? Goodness gracious. <laughs> it's a fabulous been, analogy. <laughs> it's been a bit of a gestation for sure. <laughs> oh, look, I think I love the way that we've been able to come together and make this happen. It's pretty darn exciting. A lot of new tech for us when we're all pretty tech nerds, so it's pretty exciting to be on this platform recording all our crazy chats being together. I think we're going to start it off. We want to talk about just how we all knew each other because we hope you become friends like we're all friends now. Riv, why don't you take it away? Yeah, thanks, Chris. It really has been a strange meeting of kindred spirits, hasn't it? And, you know, certainly you, Chris, and and Kim too, of course. We've become such good friends and close buddies in work and outside of that also. And we've been talking for such a long time now about all of the interesting stories and all of the good stuff that we hear going around us. And probably our audience will also recognise us from the myriad of webinars that we've been hosting over. So many webinars. At least this time you can't see our face. I know. know, The faces are hidden. And and we're all in our our casual gear and and being all very low-key and everything. So, look, I guess just a little bit about the the beginnings of what's kind of brought us here together. So, as we were working through, how did we all kind of meet up? And I think, Chris, we met quite a long time ago when Cubico first evolved. And I'm not quite 
sure how you came knocking yeah. on my door, but we had some really interesting conversations at the start of Kimiko. Yeah, way back then. Way back then. And I recall being a collaborator and giving you some feedback on what I was seeing and how I was observing the Kubico product that came around. And that's kind of the beginning of our relationship, isn't it? Totally. I, I can remember sending you an email. I don't know how I got your email address, but I'm pretty sure someone said, you need to, need to connect. <laughs> um, you two will get along. And I think we connected. And I can remember that it was in our very first offices and we were a team of three people. And yes, we were a tech company. So we had beanbags in our offices. So I can remember our very first chat on Zoom. And I think it would have been like maybe just before lockdown, just before the first big lockdown a few years ago. I, I, um, I think it was even earlier than that, Chris. It really that. is. Oh, actually, it was, yes, because we were still in the old building. So maybe, yeah. Oh, God, I'm feeling really old right now. Oh, you and um, me both. Yeah. Oh. But I reached out and we had a chat and I kind of was just like, what do you reckon? Are we on the right track? Because I think for me, having been around practice management for the last 11 years, it was like, there's a lot of amazing software out there, but sometimes amazing software lost touch with what actually would make their users really happy and make life a bit easier in practice. So who better to talk to than your fine self to just get a bit of a steer on what was important? Yeah, and, and I think I recall telling you that I was a bit of a beta tester from way back in my practice management days, that I was always one of the first to put my hand up and say, let me try this, let me play with this. <laughs> yes, we'll give this a go. Yes, let's install this new software. You know, come what may, much to the disappointment, I guess, of, uh, of, of some of my staff. But it kind of had a, a similar tone about it, didn't it? So so that yeah. was very I just cool. remember you saying, when do I get my login to have a play? I need to have a play before I can give you any feedback. And I was like, very good question. Let me get you a login. A login always helps. And of course... Kim and my story go back quite a long way now as well. Kim, we met over a joint project that we were doing looking at chronic disease management pathways. What's your recollection of our early times? I remember that we were doing a project and we were both asked to consult on this particular piece of work. And quite literally, you went, I think we're best actually meeting and working through it together you coming from that practice management perspective and me coming from that nursing clinical perspective. And let's just throw our ideas at this document. So we both independently read it and then we got together and quite literally we were on the same page right from day one. We were going, yep, get where you're going. And just the seamlessness with us working together was just evident right from that day. You know, we were both very frank with each other, very raw with our opinions and our thoughts. And we just literally got through a, and churned through a big document and made it quite simple. And I think that's something that you and I have always identified. Putting simplicity into pieces of work is where we do our finest work together. Isn't it amazing when you find those kindred spirits? You know, those people who you're just like, oh, yes, you talk yeah. my language and we have similar ways of thinking and you get really excited and you go away being like, oh, what an amazing person. Yeah. Love those moments in life. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the brain analogy, isn't it? Um, about modes of thinking and being that just really aligns. And isn't it just so joyful when you do find a tribe where 
you can really elevate the work that you do because there is such good alignment on thinking processes. And I think this is just such a great theme too for our practice manager and and nursing friends and colleagues as well, that you've got to find those alignments and find the bits that fit really well, because that's where you kind of get the, the best work happening. And certainly for Kim and myself now, that work continues across many different projects that we are concurrently involved in. And that's joyful in itself as well. But there's been a further evolution of Kim and my relationship in terms of the work that we do with Practice Coach. Kim, do you want to tell a little bit more about what we do when we work for Practice Coach? Absolutely. Firstly, it came about when you and I came and did a face-to-face session on the Healthy North Coast catchment and we delivered the first practice facilitation coaching school. And it was like over a couple of days. And again, we got to meet face to face and again, great minds think alike. So we co-facilitated this session. And from that, we met some additional friends and we said, how about there seems to be a real need for practice facilitations, not only to have education about all things general practice, but also to understand change management. So us two and another couple of people decided that we'd get together and put together a coaching school targeted for practice facilitators in PHNs, which was really fantastic because it was a moving feast of people coming into those areas and not had the induction or the orientation to primary care. So we were able to support them in getting up to speed with the foundations of primary care, what their target audience looked like, sounded like, and what their areas of need were. And then, of course, we started to evolve that even more and said, how about we actually bring the general practices on board as well, particularly when COVID hit. We started off with the bushfire items. We then escalated that into the flood in the early instance prior COVID. And then we started to bring some free e-learning. And of course, that's when we started to bring Chris into the equation as well. And we had him as an invited guest. And of course... I was just that third <laughs> wheel, you know, you just dragged me in. Like, what have I signed up for? And rave reviews. No. We had rave reviews about how funny Chris <laughs> yeah. is, how talented Chris Mead is, funny. how much he like likes, that. everyone loves Chris <laughs> Mead. So, of course, you know, it was just once we all started talking, particularly the three of us, it just started to grow. This friendship absolutely started to not only meet online in webinars, et cetera, but also offline as well, just to really run our perspectives through each other's lens as well. It's amazing when you get those points of view that are sometimes different. You know, like we sort of always find this comes with a place of respect, but a place of having a laugh and being like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. And I think that for me is one of the things I'm like most excited to share with everyone listening. It's that, uh, you know, how can we all bring different ways of looking at the world and looking at this crazy space that we're in to give some real insight to what's going on? Yeah, because I guess that's the flip side, isn't it, of a group of people who do tend to think in similar patterns and and similar ways that you end up with this sort of groupthink approach where everyone is just agreeing with each other and there is no challenge to where you find yourself or what you're doing. And I guess that's the beauty that when you do pull back from that and think, well, are there different ways? What's a different perspective Mm. to this scenario or to this situation? How can we bring new elements to the conversation? And that only really develops too when you've got good trust between people where you can just kind of pull back a bit and go, well, what if, what if? And then, of course, Chris says, what if we did this via podcast? Yeah, and I think particularly we are all working all across Australia. And so we're constantly seeing different 
things and different ways of people workflowing and different processes and different ways of presenting information in general practice and primary care. So I think that's the beauty of it as well as you go, actually, I've seen it done this way. What about you? And just starting to bring this breadth across our three brains and then the exposure that we have to primary care, I think has been really insightful for me particularly. And of course, we couldn't have this conversation without also mentioning the Practice Managers Network on Facebook, which has been just such an influential group of people with very wide ranging opinions and questions and concerns and ideas and tips and hints. That's really sort of informed all of us in terms of our thinking and knowing where the pulse of primary care really lies at any point in time. And Rima, I think that really struck home to me is when about, oh, what was it, oh, 18 months ago, when the government suddenly thrust COVID vaccines upon us. I think that's where we went from being colleagues to, to good friends when we were working, you know, nonstop every day to build that vaccine calculator. But what it showed me is the power of the community and the power of working together meant that I was building something and you were looking at it going, oh, what about this? And looking at this and getting other people involved to build something in what a matter of two or three days that, that worked for many thousands of practices around the country. It was a pretty special moment. Yeah, look, an extraordinary project that was, Chris, and that was bringing very different skill sets together on the one project that required a high level of agility to bring a solution in a very short amount of time. And I can only think of one other occasion that I've been involved in a project like that, which was the hand sanitizer project that I undertook with Matt Gilchrist and Anna Davidson to bring hand sanitizer to thousands of practices around Australia. But you're right, it's that agility and that nimbleness that allows you to do the deep dive and get a lot of outcomes in a very short amount of time. We're not often in that situation, are we, where we are that challenged to bring the Mm. goods Except, of course, you know, primary care is probably finding <laughs> itself in this situation almost on a daily basis with a myriad of changes that is foisted upon them day in, day out. And the relentlessness of that is just very... Uh... Even the word's tough, not even just living it. They're living the relentlessness of it all. Uh, you know, try living the relentlessness of it all. The word the word matches the feeling. There's not hey. even any gin and tonic here. This is extraordinary, <laughs> isn't <Yeah>. it? <laughs> So as we're going to be chatting through the various episodes that are still to come, we're certainly going to bring a lighthearted touch. It's going to be very much a conversational style. We want to bring your voices into our conversation. So we're really seeking your questions, your hot topics that you want some discussion on and some further elaboration. And I guess on on that note, we do have already a number of curated questions from our networks that have have come forward. Uh, What are they all about, Chris? Well, look, it was pretty amazing. We sort of in code put out that we were working on something and we put the call out for some questions. And surprisingly, no one dug too deeply into why to give us questions. I think they just trusted that between the collective crazy slash brains trust of the three of us, we'd do something good with it. Get a call out moving forward on our website. There's going to be a form where you can submit these questions. So make sure you jump online and have a look. Link will be in the show notes. But today, 
we're actually recording this just after the 30th of June for those listening back in the future. And look, originally I was an accountant, so don't hold that against me. But the 30th of June was always a pretty big financial date for the end of financial year. But also a good question has come through about money. And I know a lot of practices recently have been talking about MBS indexation. So the fabulous Mary from Sydney had a question and it was, what does MBS indexation mean to me and what do I need to do? So a two-parter, what does it mean to me and what do I need to do? So I know, Riv, you know everything MBS back to front. You're my trustee. I feel like if I could carry you around in a book, my trusty MBS pocketbook, that would be something you could do. Your brain is full of those things. But, but maybe kick us off about what is MBS indexation? Wow, gosh, it's almost a non-topic, isn't it? Because the indexation, which is really the incrementation and increase of Medicare rebates that are made available on an annual basis, is uh, what kind of what sets the scene for what do we do with our practices from here mm. on in? So the new Medicare schedule has just been released. It's now effective. We're just off into July. And we know that the rates are, again, just really next to nothing in essence. The indexation is is extremely low and doesn't even come close to matching the CPI index and cost of living and certainly not the cost of running a practice. And we know that this has been happening over many years, don't we, that uh, it's probably, gosh... 15, 20 years now that the indexation of Medicare has been very much below par. And we're now right at the junction where practices are finding themselves in the space of being unviable. Chris, I can see you're itching to jump in. What would you like to say? No, I mean, I'd say, look, for the last, look, for many years, River wasn't even indexed, wasn't it? It stayed pretty, pretty static. Uh, They were pretty tough years. And this year, it's what, 1.6%? 1.6%. 1. 1.6%. 1. That's crazy when you look at inflation, about yeah. 5%. Well, exactly. And, you know, the prediction is is that that's going to uh, fly away a bit later on in the year as well. So it, it really does have a very serious impact on practices. Of course, we've also just seen the award rate increases that have come through mm. as well. And that has a an impact, of course, too, on practice viability and making sure that the finances balance at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm just seeing so many practices now just starting to think about how we're going to market this and how we're going to start to give consumers the insights into, hey, we can't be bulk billing anymore. We need to actually convert to private billing as a new service delivery. And I think too, there's a real practical thing that hopefully people are getting this podcast soon or maybe this time next year when it comes around is how do we keep our software up to date? What do I need to do? So the biggest thing is to trust your software vendors. Hey, they will give you updated files that will include all the different billing item numbers and because it's not just the item, not just indexation, the changes on the 1st of July, sometimes some item numbers that added, sometimes they're taken away. So make sure you're updating your software. The nerd in me gets very excited at the updating your software piece to make sure it's keeping up track with all the latest information. And also, I think it really goes back to your practice's business plan. Now you have these numbers, because we only got these numbers sort of two or three weeks ago. Hey, you need to go back to your business plan. And it ties in really, really well. What a segue to a question we got from John in Perth. And John asked, why are practices moving to private index billing? And I know the panel is going to have some pretty awesome insights that were were itching to go during that ask question to talk about this. But why are practices moving to private and explain any tips on how to manage this transition? Uh, Kim, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, well, as I said in the the previous question, you know, a lot of practices are, are breaking down the dollars and cents and giving the information back to the consumers to say, we can't actually 
meet our margins if we just rely on Medicare alone. And really giving the, the dollars and cents story to consumers, I think, has been really helpful. A lot of practices have been hesitant and been apologetic about it. But when you see a lot of the video recordings that have been coming through the practice managers network and the like, and you see the bottom line, you can understand why the fees need to be what they need to be. But again, it's about how do we market it? And what about marginalised communities and making sure we have a lens across affordability as well? So important. And I really love the way you said that it's the communication to your community is pretty vital. I think another yeah. key aspect of this is really how practices view Medicare rebates and practices have traditionally kind of looked at that as their income. And that shift is now really happening to seeing the Medicare rebates as the rebate that belongs to the patient, which it has been all along, but it just hasn't been viewed in that way. So that shift to bring that back to the patient cohort say it's actually your rebate that's not keeping track with inflation. And that is something for you to take up with your MPs mm. and your communities. And from a practice point of view, we need to provide you a service. We are a private practice in the sense that we're a small business. We are just simply that. And we need to charge fees that are commensurate with the service that we provide. And therefore, we need to charge fees that reflect the cost of the service provision as well. Uh, Chris, have you seen that shift in, in the mindset as well? Oh, look, one of the best pieces of advice that someone gave me probably about six to eight months ago is we, we actually need to stop apologizing. We need yeah. to stop apologizing because we're not the ones in control. And sorry, when I say we, I mean the community of general practice uh, managers and owners and everyone involved. We're not the ones setting the, the indexation. We're just the one dealing with the fallout. So I think some practices maybe got a bit too hung up on apologizing when exactly what you said yeah. there, Rivka, that an explanation that this is your rebate, your rebate hasn't kept up. I always go back to, you know, the form you sign when you, when you see the doctor and they do bulk bills, it's an assignment of benefit. Like the patient is assigning their benefit to the practice. And that's the form that we all sign. It's like at the top every yeah, time. Absolutely. And, and of course, that's the intention, isn't it, Chris? Now we know that in reality, that formality doesn't always take place. That's probably a conversation for another day to kind of dig into. That's uh, another question we'll get on I the email. I think it may well be. Hey. And do you, know what, <laughs> do you know what I really like in terms of language? And one of our esteemed colleagues, Tony Lebke, I'm going to cite him here. He said, all we want to do is deliver generous care. And generous care means it's high quality care and means we're looking after you. And I think that is where we come from, that unapologetic stance. And just really take it up a notch and say, we want to make sure that we're doing a good job. And, and I think also that lack of apology is also important in bringing confidence to the messaging across. So I know that a lot of practices still feel a little bit on edge about, gosh, we have to make this move or else we may not have a business, but we're not feeling all that mm. confident about our stance in this. And by really shifting that mindset to saying, well, actually, this, this is what needs to happen and we should feel fine about uh, asking for a market rate for the services that we provide. If that is communicated to patients in a confident manner, my experience has been that the impact is far lower than what practices are fearing. So there is just this fear of a mass exodus, which is a little bit crazy at this time too, because so many practices are actually moving away from bulk billing. Kind of that we're simply yeah. going to yeah. go to a pra another practice 
that is no longer bulk billing as well. So, you know, I think that the fear factor is is usually overstated. Is is that your experience too, Chris? Yeah, look, I'm pretty lucky that I'm a data nerd, so we get to crunch a fair bit of data. And we had over 300 clinics opt into our, our benchmarking data set. So that was pretty amazing. That's, that's a pretty big chunk of clinics. And one of the numbers that surprised me most of all was that in clinics that self-categorize themselves as mixed billing clinics. So that's a clinic that when they've signed up, they said, yes, I'm a mixed billing clinic. Their bulk billing rate is still 66%. And it sort of goes between 60 and 66 and 68%, depending on the state. So when you make the transition the first time, you're not saying from tomorrow, no one will be bulk built. You know, it's going to be a slow process. And it's going to be a process that means that you respect each clinician's autonomy because they are operating their own business within your business. So you need to respect that autonomy. But we've, on average, yeah, we still see the bulk billing rate in the mixed billing clinic at, at above 60%, which I think is, is a pretty important thing to, to keep in mind when you're making this move, particularly when you're trying to bring your doctors along and you're modeling it out for yourself. Because remember, you're going to lose some of those incentive item numbers. And you need to make sure that what you do and what you make up for with your gap covers that. Because I've heard some clinics that are moving and charging a $10 gap or a $15 gap. And I suddenly would say, well, how much are you losing in incentive item numbers? Do you then have to make up in gaps in having an FPOS machine and doing all that sort of stuff before you're ahead? And I think it really comes back to what we said in this question and the last question. It's the importance of having a plan and the reality of that plan and knowing your numbers to know where that plan sits. Because the worst outcome would be, you know, 12 months time, you made the mix to mixed billing, but you're still bulk billing higher than you ever have before. So you went through the pain for no reason, or you did it and your gap wasn't big enough to improve the financial situation and sustainability of your clinic. Why go through the, the process if you're not going to have that benefit on the flip side? So definitely make sure you have your before and after. And treat it like a PDSA. I know we all love a good quality improvement. This could be a fantastic what happened before, what happened after, and track your progress through. It all comes down to the internal communication within the practice first and foremost, doesn't it? Are we all on the same page mm. about what we're trying to achieve? My experience is, is that frequently it's actually the practitioners themselves, the GPs themselves, that subvert the process of moving towards private billing. They do find that notion of asking for payment inherently uncomfortable for some, not for all, but for some. But I think getting some clarity around, well, what are the drivers? Why do we want to do this in the first place? And really telling a compelling mm. story there to help really ground that in some reality and picture what it's going to look like and how it's going to be once you've sort of moved beyond that transition phase. So I think that communication really sort of sits central uh, to that. And I think in that communication, you've also got to have the conversation on what permissions are you going to enable across your team to make those decisions on whether they are going to bulk bill someone or whether they are going to, and like I'm thinking about marginalised people here, about accessibility, because I think sometimes clinicians, the pushback is often about, but how are we going to look after the people that need us most? So again, you need to build that into your conversation piece as well. So there's comfort around those decisions and how they're going to be implemented and embedded. And I think there's a really important point there around patient dignity, that maybe you're the patient's usual doctor and they feel comfortable to open up to you about why they might need to be bulk billed at the moment. I know some fantastic clinics that puts that into the, into the notes, you know, for the next six months, this patient will be bulk billed. Right. Um, but I, I really love that because it gives that patient the dignity of not needing to ask that question every time they come yeah. in. And I think patient dignity is something that I really strongly believe in. 
And so finding a system that works for your practice can be really critical to having that help it smoother. Because imagine if they had to have that conversation every time they came in, saw someone different. It's not a great experience, is it, for our, for our wonderful patients? I, I agree. Yeah, we're, you know, we want to deliver good quality care in primary care. So if we're not providing mm. that piece that we just spoke about, how do we actually manage and cater for our marginalised communities or people, as you say, who may be going through some financial struggles just for a period of time, then we're going to overburden tertiary. We're going to overburden accident emergency. And that's not what we're after. We're after doing really good quality care that we do in primary care. And that's about prevention. And it's making sure that we do look after the patients that are within our scope and our realm without just pushing it to somewhere else, another bucket of funding to deal with it. I think another yeah, dimension totally. to this conversation is around the work satisfaction for the practitioners who do make that shift to private billing. What I have seen is that there is a real sort of shift in the pride that practitioners often take in the work that they do when there is a commercial value that is assigned to this. You know, that notion of Medicare funding, it comes from somebody else's pocket. It's a free service and it can feel a little bit sort of compromised in that you're just a public servant after all. And then that shift to private billing can really bring a sense of achievement and worth to the work that especially practitioners are doing. And I think that's really worth having a think about as well. How do we bring that worth? How do we measure that worth? And are we delivering the value that our patients are expecting when they are paying out of their own pockets. So I think that's an, another important question. Sounds like it might be a future topic for a podcast recording. Who knows? They're filing <laughs> all these little uh, pearls of wisdom away and see what might happen. Once again, it's an awesome reminder, folks, hit up our website. Link will be in the show notes to get us your questions for the upcoming episodes. Feel free to put us on the spot. I know we all said when we started recording this, the day we have a disagreement over the answer to a question, is probably going to make for some great listening. And rest assured, we do have, love to have those good, honest conversations between us with our different views on the world. But hey, that's Q&A for this month's episode. Make sure you get us up with some questions for in the future. Rib, what's coming up in the future? Where is this crazy, crazy podcast idea going to be going? Well, gosh, we do have some guests that we're lining up in the background. We're going to be very excited to bring them over the coming episodes as well. But in the meantime, we would be asking everyone to subscribe to the podcast so you're not going to miss a single episode of our banter. We'd love for you to give us a bit of a rating because that's going to help our visibility too it's going to help us get better we also are seeking your very honest feedback on what you're wanting to hear about what you want more of what you want less of and of course we want you to tell your colleagues about this podcast tell them that you've been listening spread to the us good word. Spread, spread the word spread the word indeed that is what we would like you to do we are looking forward to having you along again for our next podcast in a month's time mm -hmm.